Hey there, and welcome to the Tideship Podcast, where we are in the pursuit of operational excellence. My name is Duncan Malkin. Do you think that your organization is growing fast enough, or that your customers are choosing you first? Our guest today is Jeremy Miller, and he's the author of a new book called Sticky Branding. Jeremy found himself trying to drive sales in his family recruitment business in 2004, and after a year of declining sales, having to dial for dollars at a family meeting, they decided that everything had to change. They changed their branding, they changed their market, they changed their approach to sales, and just nine months after those changes, their business was beginning to take off and they were able to sell in 2013. So over the last 10 years or so, Jeremy's profiled thousands of companies and he's been able to interview over 150 different CEOs to find out what makes them stand out and why their customers were choosing them first. In the interview, Jeremy explains how a normal business can stand out and just towards the end of the interview, he reveals a story that wasn't in his book about developing culture, but really confirms something that I've heard time and time again from so many different business leaders. I hope you enjoy the interview and look forward to your feedback. Okay, Jeremy, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us today. Um, your book, Sticky Branding, is coming out soon. Um, could you give a little bit of an introduction to about you and your background? Because um, you've, you've worked in a lot of different organizations and... Uh, come at all sorts of different organizations from different approaches. Sure. So I actually came into branding uh, through what I'd say is the back door. I was a sales guy who lost his competitive advantage. And uh, in 2004, I'd left a, a lucrative software sales job to join my family's business, which was an IT staffing firm. And at the time, uh, the business was suffering from the recession of the early 2000s following 9-11 and, and the tech wreck after the dot-com uh, bubble burst. And so what happened was I came as the director of business development and what I found was a sales organization that was struggling. So uh, what used to take our sales guys a week to achieve was taking them a month. And as a result, more and more of our time was spent on cold calling and direct marketing and advertising. And I found myself in the trenches dialing for dollars just to keep the funnel going. And I got to say, I hate cold calling. So that was awful for me. And it was uh, it was a really tough period. And I remember getting to the end of 2004 and sitting down with my parents uh, as our, at our family council and saying, I don't think I could do another year of this. That was hell. And, and we, we put our heads together, we put our strategy together, and we started studying the business. And what we realized is it wasn't our sales guys or our sales process that was failing us, it was our brand. From our customer's point of view, they couldn't differentiate us from any of the other options in the, the marketplace. And so that's what really triggered the whole interest in branding and what do small and medium-sized businesses do to stand out and attract customers and grow that remarkable brand. So in my case, we've repositioned and rebranded the entire business. So we, we took it out of IT and put it into another niche. We uh, changed the company name, colors, everything, but also we changed all the operations in order to service that new niche. And so within nine months of that rebrand, the business took off and it, it grew consistently over 10 years to the point where we were able to sell the company in 2013. Uh, but along the way, that triggered the interest in branding. So I got into a decade-long study of how do small and medium-sized businesses challenge the giants of their industry and grow a sticky brand. And so I've had the opportunity to profile and study thousands of companies over the last 10 years to be able to understand what are the criteria for success for companies not like Apple or Starbucks, but how do companies like yours and mine grow remarkable brands? How do you fight David and Goliath? I think that's always the, that's always the thing. I remember after the first business I was involved with, it was a hosting company and we're like two guys in a front bedroom against Rackspace. It's like, how, does, how do you go from there? <laughs> 
got to be creative. <laughs> and so one of the things we talked about before was, I mean, branding is often seen as this thing, which is a marketing department's job. And it's uh, all about the brochures and the logo and the color scheme and, uh, you know, the words that you use on the website. Um, but I think you make a really good point that it goes a lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So what I like to say is ask yourself a question. Do your customers choose you first? To me, that question is the essence of branding. Branding is not about logos and colors and taglines. Those things are aspects of your brand, but they're tactics. Realistically, it's that relationship you have with your customers. Do they choose you first? Do they think of you first? So when you think of any incredible brand, no matter what industry it is, they have this place in their customer's mind where the people think of them first, they choose them first, and they come to them first. And that's what you really want to strive for. It's not about the, the logo or how well you name your company. It's how you connect with your customers in a meaningful way where they choose you first. And when you have that first choice advantage, you've got a really powerful marketing and sales position because now people are beating a path to your door. And that's really what we want to have. That makes sense. And by choosing first, you, there's more than just the brand there. There's, it's about the full experience. I mean, there's some really great case studies. I think the one that, the one that I, the one that I like the most, I think, out of all of them, has to be. Um, uh, it was the car, the car group. I just Jim Gilbert's Wheels and Deals. Wheels and Deals. There we go. And that that's a really amazing story where an organization gets pushed through external factors to change how they work. But, um, but does so in a way that means that they actually end up really fiercely competitive compared to the rest of the market. Right. And, and so that story, just for your listeners, is Wheels and Deals uh, is the largest used car dealership in eastern Canada. And they've been around for 34 years. And like many small businesses, uh, they just ran a business for the first 14 years of their life. And in 1999 or 98, a very large competitor entered their marketplace, which uh, came in with a lot of money, a big inventory, and upset the whole apple cart. And what that meant for Wheels and Deals was they had to really be purposeful to rethink how they were going to grow their business. And so many small businesses come to branding later on in life. And in Wheels and Deals' case, they focused on what they could do better than anyone else, create and sell better quality used cars. And what the issue is for many people is they buy a used car and then they have to replace the tires six months later, the brakes or some other mechanical issue. It's not that the used car dealership did anything wrong. They just sold it to the industry standard. Wheels and Deals realize that people don't want to have to come in six months later. So they're servicing their cars to 250% of the standard and that garnered customer loyalty. So today, now they're the largest player. They set the market conditions, but it just started with a very simple decision in 2000 to grow a brand based on better quality used cars. And let's talk about that because they, they didn't just do, they, they, it wasn't just a case that they bought some new, some better cars. They actually went, they went wholesale into that, into that area. How much, yeah. how much did you hear from them in terms of how they made that transition? It was started out very small. So um, to expand the, the competitor, before the competitor came in, they had a standard business where they sold 10 to 15 cars a month. And that was what all the competitors in their industry did. They were all small used car lots. And the competitor came in with a lot of money to be able to 
to have an inventory of 100 cars and sell 100 cars. So every month they were moving 100 cars, and so they had a ton of choice. And so people were gravitating to this large lot because that's where all the cars were. But the sales experience was poor. So they had uh, that classic used car salesman that was pushy and aggressive. And, uh, and they also didn't care what kind of car they sold as long as they were moving the inventory. So Wheels and Deals knew they couldn't compete on price. They couldn't compete on uh, on choice, or they couldn't buy that many cars. But what they could do was in their control. So they could invest a thousand to, to or between eight hundred and twelve hundred dollars in every car in maintenance. So they could maintain the car even better. And by doing so, people became to know this is the place to get better quality cars. And they were also aggressively telling people that they were selling better quality used cars. So that combination of operational excellence of being able to, to deliver a better product coupled with blowing their own horn is really how the starting point of their branding exercise. That makes total sense. So they moved from just, they just really focused on keeping keeping the customers they had really, really happy. And it worked, but the thing that I, they actually keep, they kept going beyond that as well. Did they not send out greetings cards to every single one of their customers. They're sending out gifts to all of their customers. Yep. They really made that word of mouth go as far as it could possibly go. Um, exactly. So this is the other part of growing your brand is that operational excellence is only part of it. You need a great product or a great service in order to stand out. But the next part of it is how do you create that first choice of advantage? Well, you have to break through the clutter that's going on in this marketplace. There's so many people and so many resources competing for our attention, uh, social media, email, advertising, you name it. So Wheels and Deals really focuses in on that relationship, and it started out small. It's a birthday gift program that they run annually, and this is just one of many marketing activities they do. But every year they send out a custom gift. And so this year they were dog leashes. The year before they were a box of custom-made playing cards, um, books, little knickknacks. But it's simply the act of sending something out without any preconceived expectations. And what that does is keeps the brand top of mind through small acts of generosity. And so they will get these cards and these letters of people saying, nobody else acknowledged my birthday but you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I find that amazing, but it just it hits the heartstrings. So. And you talked about this in the book around the, the pyramid of the pyramid of need, whether people are at the top of the pyramid and making sure that people down towards the bottom of the pyramid are actually still engaged, that they still actually, that you need to pay attention not just to the people who want to buy stuff today, but the people who want to buy stuff tomorrow. Exactly. I call that the 3% rule, which says at any given time, 3% of your market is buying, the rest are not. And there's two modes of marketing. Uh, there is what we talk about as inbound marketing, which is people who have a need right now that are typing into Google looking for uh, products and services. And, and your goal as a company is to be in the path of search. But that's a very competitive marketplace when everybody's competing for those active buyers. What Wheels and Deals is doing is engaging the people that don't have a need right now and probably won't need them for three, four, five years away. And so by building relationship in the non-buying audience, by being generous, by sharing good quality content, like this podcast today is a great example for, for tight ship. It's uh, by being generous and sharing um, your expertise in building relationships, that creates the seeds of a relationship and that helps propel your customers to come to you and choose you first when they have a need. 
Yeah, and that totally makes sense. I think I, I see so so many companies. Uh, you talk about the lost middle. There are so many organisations that are in that lost middle, and I've worked with them. I've worked for them, um, and that it's it's something that happens a lot, and often by accident. I think companies. Uh, there's a really good case study around a company who were talking about. Um, I'll find their name. It's down my list here somewhere. But they, uh, who are every sort of three years, went through and redid, re-looked at how all of their operations, how they sat in the market, and re-evaluated where their where their offering fitted. Because what is a real niche service right now today, in three years' time, can be totally different, and then you could end, you know, you can slide out of uh, of relevancy quite quickly and easily. Icebreaker. Icebreaker. Yeah, there we go. So Icebreaker is grown into a global brand over 20 years. They were founded in 1994 by Jeremy Moon out of South, out of New. So they were founded in 1994 by Jeremy Moon in New Zealand, and they make merino wool, uh, long underwear, and outdoor clothing. And if you've ever tried their products, they're amazing. They feel great on your skin. They're I, I, soft. I actually, I actually found one earlier today in, uh, in one, of the, one of my from one of my friends. <laughs> If for skiing and snowboarding, the long underwear is unreal. Um, it's uh, it's warm, it's soft, it's insulating. It's it's really quite nice compared to traditional fibers. But when they started out in '94, merino wool, which is a merino is a breed of sheep that grows in the southern Alps of New Zealand. Merino was only used in high-end suits like Armani, and long underwear was polyester fibers. But they saw the potential of this thing, and they grew it. and And it comes through a series of incremental steps to grow a global brand. Today, the product sold in four thousand stores across forty-four countries. They have two hundred million in sales, four hundred employees. They're a fairly big company when you think about it. But they've grown it purposefully, and they call the process of reinvention "shedding the skin." So every three years, they ask themselves three really big questions. Where are we today and where do we need to move towards? What's working and what isn't working? And who here is part of the team moving forward and who here has stopped growing and can't keep up? And by asking themselves those deep questions, they can take a look internally to see what they need to fix, but then they can go look onto the horizon of where they need to be and make the changes both within their marketing but also within their operations to grow to that next level. And it's that process of reinvention of how companies really grow from being a small business to uh, a not so small business to a medium and a large business. It's that, that evolution from 1 million, 5, 10, 25, 50, 100, etc. It's quite a difficult process. Though. I mean, I, I, reading that case study, I, I was thinking for a lot of people, I mean, you got to, I think a lot of people start businesses for different reasons, and you, you state quite clearly that people who are trying to really drive these sticky brands are, are, are of a certain character type. Yes. Uh, but it's quite difficult to take those decisions every uh, and make those. And there's quite a lot of hard decisions in there. There's some good decisions and some fun decisions, but some t- difficult and tough ones. I mean, I, th- I think about uh, the first business that I set up that's still being run by my cousin today. It hasn't evolved in a huge amount in the last seven years, but uh, you know they've grown steadily and they haven't really done any extreme shifts. But I think he, if I looked and I went back to him now and I said, I think, well, what you need to do is you need to get rid of this guy, you need to hire a couple of these guys, and you need to totally change how you look from the outside inwards. Um, I'm not sure that he, they, I'm not sure he'd be comfortable making those decisions. How do people? How do you? How do you? How do you get people over that that chasm of making those difficult decisions? Because it's quite it's quite tough. Well. I don't think we actually have to make them do that. Um, take your, your your prior business with your cousin. Is he happy? Does he like his company? <laughs> I hope so, yeah. <laughs> well, if, if someone's happy, like you think of it, 
growing a business is a lot of work. It, it, it takes a lot of risk and challenge. And so a lot of people will grow to a certain size and hit that comfort zone where it fits their lifestyle. They can uh, make the income they want. They can have the size of employees they want. They can have the, the the uh, they can have the dynamics that fit their needs, and so you see a lot of people today uh, that will ha- be freelancers that uh, can earn a great living and 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 not have any employees, and it gives them a ton of freedom. And I think that's that's incredible on its own. And then there's other people that are driven to grow very large businesses. It's all personal. So what do you want to do? Now, growing your business through the plateaus is is your decision. But I think wherever you decide to be, you can decide to have excellence. You can decide that your customers will choose you first. Now, you might choose that you're a niche player and only going to serve a small segment of your marketplace. Just do it brilliantly. You don't have to serve everybody. No, that totally makes sense. And so um, rolling into your book, it's it's covers a really in-depth, I was saying before, it's, it's actually really well-researched and there's a lot of valuable information. I, there's sort of two kinds of books that I come across, ones which, are, come, ones which give one person's opinion and ones which uh, bring together a large uh, audience of opinions, and yours is the latter sure. in terms of bringing together lots of different opinions, and you've got it in a really nice format of, uh, of 12, 12 and a half things to, uh, <laughs> to pull together. Uh, yes. Again, in there, there's quite a lot of stuff. How, how long do you think it would take someone or an organization to work through that to actually get to the point or to get to get on the track, get on the road forward? How much effort do you think they have to put in? It's ongoing. It doesn't stop. So branding is a process, not an event. A lot of people uh, look at branding and, and the symptom of my brand is out of date right now is an out-of-date website. So when you look at your website and say you haven't updated it in three years and you go, wow, this looks terrible. It's not responsive. It's the, the font's <laughs> off. The colors are off. Th- that's a sign that not only your visual identity is out-of-date, but most likely your story, your positioning, everything's out-of-date. So today the trigger event that you, you're in time for a, a brand cleanup is an out-of-date website. Um, what I'm finding, though, is branding today is very much a process. It's uh, like total quality management for operations, but it's on the holistic view of your business because you can't stop your competitors from innovating. You can't stop what's happening in the internet and social media. Everything's changing so quickly. So the companies that are really purposeful about making goals and working to improve their business every single year, so every six months they're working on something new to get better. Then those are the ones that really do grow sticky brands. It's not the one that says, hey, we're going to do a push for 18, 24, 36 months, and then we've made it. That doesn't happen that way. You look at the, the icebreaker story. It's a 20-year evolution to grow to what they've gone. And they've had their heartaches, and they've had their issues along the way. But it is every day you got to show up, and what are we going to do next? There's a lot of uh, I've heard various people say this, and certainly more sort of the more older senior people who say I came up with a single message and I spent the following five years repeating it and telling everyone else in the business, and it's that same that developing that culture internally where people will understand where things are going and that everyone is working towards the same goal ultimately. That's a very interesting point. So it's, this is then in the book, but it uh, came out of the interview with Wheels and Deals. Is uh, Jim Gilbert's getting close to retirement? His kids are in the business, and and they're going through their succession process to the next generation. But he said a big part of his time is uh, communicating to everyone every single week 
what it is the brand is about, what it is the reason why they serve their customers, how they serve the customers, and repeating the message every single week. And the thing is, um, people are easily will fall back into their old habits. They'll go to what's comfortable. They'll go with what's easy. And so it does take strong leadership to beat that drum and to share because people don't remember what they were supposed to do past Friday. So <laughs> every Monday, it's a restart the message. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And it, I think it, but it, and it is true. It's one of those keep getting culture, especially in, uh, especially in businesses who perhaps haven't focused on branding before, how they, how the whole message works. That's there's some tough things that need to happen there and uh, communicating with people who maybe are just very happy with how it was before. There's, there's always challenges in those situations. Yeah. To answer your question, though, on how to start, I think the way the book's designed, you can see it on the, the column, it's got the tab. So each of the 12 and a half principles are designed so that you can uh, go through the book and focus on the section that's top of mind. So if your positioning or your, your core messaging is off right now and you're not comfortable with it, you can focus on the simple clarity principle, which is the first one. If you are trying to improve your visual identity, well, there's principle uh, five around uh, making your brand visibly different. So you can go, the, the way the book's been designed is, what I found with my iPad is it makes me makes me ADD. I have a hard time <laughs> reading a book cover to cover in one sitting. So what I wanted to create was a book where you could go to the section that you needed at that moment in time and it's self-contained. So you can read the book cover to cover and it holds together. But if you just want to get to that one thing that you're working on, that's really Go to the principle that you need at that moment in time. And then you've got it split up into four four divisions, right? There's four different parts. You've got uh, part one, which is talking about how to stand out from the crowd. You've got part two, which goes into the various, I, I can't remember them off by heart. <laughs> uh, Authentic differentiation. So how to uh, uh, create the experience and the visual experience and the stories. Part three is around um, uh, how do you punch outside your weight class? So how do you uh, market and blow your own horn? And the fourth part is really about branding from the inside out. It's those culture and goals and internal questions of uh, how does a company create that excellent operations in order to grow their brand? Because I really do believe uh, you can put uh, lipstick on a pig and call that your brand, but it's really not going to, it's going to rub off quickly. So it is the culture is probably the most important dynamic having the right people in your organization having everyone committed and passionate about your brand having um, the systems and resources and capabilities to service your customers it's the companies that are brilliant at the basics that are actually growing the best brands yeah no that totally makes sense and i think that was just towards the end there in those at that last section in terms of uh, proud to serve and the big goals and bold actions for people to make those steps into the, the larger organization into, into bigger organizations they have to really think about where they need to be they need to sort of you know it's this classic thing if you want to get to here you have to aim up here mm -hmm. and, um, so that, that all made sense all right Jeremy thank you very much for your time it's been very interesting um, My pleasure I uh, look forward to, uh, to seeing your book on sale it's uh, 10th of January if I'm right January 10th worldwide, and it'll awesome. be available in all bookstores are sold. We'll make sure we put a link down here. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Duncan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. Everything is in its place oh.
woke up feeling great. Today was made for me. And life is good the way it should, the way it was meant to be. And it's a beautiful day. Children playing in the park while birds are singing. I am walking, I am walking, and I am laughing, I am laughing. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening.